check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today, we have an awesome show for you. We are going to be going over the NFC North. We have historic franchises to talk about. We've got the Packers, the Bears, Vikings, and the Lions. Of course, I don't need to tell you who's in the NFC North. But first, before that, as always, we're going to welcome my good friend, Julius Lux, to go over some big news items that have dropped this morning, last night. Some some really good stuff that I just want to talk about quick. So without further ado, how are you today, Julius? I'm doing well, all good. How are you doing? Uh, you know me. I'm always good. I operate on what, like three, somewhere between three and four hours of sleep most nights. So I don't even know if I'm good. It might just be I'm so tired. I don't know the difference anymore. But, you know, I, I can't complain, to be honest, talking football. So we got some big ones today. We got some big injuries. We got an extension. We have some transactions. And we have some trade requests. So... Lay it on me. What do you got today? All right, news piece number one. Bears linebacker Roquan Smith has requested a trade from the team. This comes after contract negotiations are falling apart between the two parties. Apparently, Mr. Smith feels that the front office does not value him in Chicago, so he is most likely to get traded now. So what are your thoughts on this situation? Well, you know, anytime you have a high-profile player who's a holdover from a previous regime, you get a new coaching staff in, you get a new front office in, those ties aren't really there anymore, right? So he's looking for a new extension. They don't really have that investment in him. Um, You know, he's never played under them. He can't even really prove it yet. So you're fighting an uphill battle as it is. But the other thing is the Bears are in full-on rebuild mode. They don't really want to pay anybody big money. That's just not what they're about this year. So I think essentially what happened is they lowballed him. He came back to the table like, hey, this is what I want. This is what I deserve. This is what the top of the linebacker market is. And they're like, no, nah, this is this is what we're offering you. And, and to be perfectly honest, and I don't necessarily blame them for this because it's what they're trying to do. I think they're they're basically saying, look, Without saying it, look, we're, we're not going to pay you. It's not the the place we are in in our roster life cycle. So if you want to take this, go ahead. But we're pretty sure you won't. So we'll send you on your on your way pretty soon. So I, I have a couple of things about where I think he might end up, or where at least would be a good fit. You know, and I I went down the list in my head and I'm like checking off. No, they don't need a linebacker. No, they're probably not. No, probably not. But you know, the one that stru- stood out to me as the one that made the most sense is the Los Angeles chargers, because I think linebacker is probably their weakest spot defensively. They spent a first round pick on a linebacker, Kenneth Murray, who didn't really work out in 2020. So, you know, if he did work out, you'd be looking at paying him anyway. So I guess just trade for Roquan and pay him instead. Plus we already know he's a great scheme fit because he was a, in the Fangio defense and Brandon Staley 
is an offshoot of the Fangio defense. So I, I they may have even been together in Chicago. I think if I'm if I remember right, Staley might have been in Chicago in, in one of his first years. So that's the one that stood out to me. What do you think? Um, I definitely I definitely see your point on that. And also it's interesting when you mentioned the Chargers because I'm pretty sure the Bears actually just completed a trade with the with the Chargers to give them Khalil Mack, if I recall. That's true. So so a little familiar party right there. Little mm-hmm. you know, similar uh, trade partners right there. So that could that could definitely be a solid piece. And yeah, you know, some the recruiting Bear, the right. Bears yeah, absolutely. And the Bears, of course, you know, they gave up a lot of picks to get Khalil Mack, so that would be nice if they could, you know, get a, a pretty decent package to get some worthy picks from a quality team so that would definitely be that would be kind of my mindset as of right now I have not thought of any teams that would fit big time quite yet it's hard because you know linebacker is a funky position you know there there's a lot of teams that have a good one and I think a lot of them have the best teams have money already kind of invested elsewhere but while you're still in Justin Herbert's rookie quarterback cycle like uh, uh, contract cycle Spend the money, man. Get a guy in and shore up that last defensive spot. I don't know. That's the one that makes the most sense to me. So uh, let's move on. What else do you have? So the New York Jets have announced that Mekhi Becton's season is more than likely done for after suffering a knee injury in Monday's practice. However, Becton is scheduled to get a second opinion on his knee on Wednesday. So I know you're a Jets fan. This is definitely news you do not want to hear. So let's hear what you got to say about this one. This is a tough one for for me, obviously. Um, it, it you know he's getting a second opinion, but it does look like more than likely it's 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 over for the year. And what it looks like is a fracture in the patella. And I, I don't I, you know I think even a positive second opinion would still mean a large amount of time missed for him. So you know, I uh, I. I <laughs> I talked to uh, Kyle Trimble, who was on the show the other day, uh, who does uh, banged up bills, got his input on it. And uh, yeah, it's just a freak injury. You know, it is what it is. It sucks. It's on the same knee that he injured before. So it's not because of that, but there could be healing complications as a result of that potentially. And it stinks, but that's it for him. You know, um, he's going to have one more chance because he still, he has guaranteed money next year. Still, he'll have one more chance to prove himself, but the jets are definitely going to be looking at bringing in another tackle for this year. It looks like Dwayne Brown, the, uh, aged vet is, is on the docket. It looks like he might be coming up soon. Yeah. I saw those news as well that they, those parties have met now moving to good news. And instead of going from someone going to be injured, we got somebody returning from an injury running back for the Ravens. JK Dobbins has been activated from the PUP list after passing his physical. He will not begin football recovery and there's no timetable where he'll return. And as you know, he tore his ACL last year in the preseason and missed all the 2021 season. So the Ravens get their running back on the field once again. Yeah, this is good. Good timing. Um, I don't know exactly all of the details of his healing process, but we do know that generally 12 months out from an ACL tear, you have a pretty good chance of being almost 100% again. So it might take a couple of weeks of game action till he really feels comfortable truly with it. But this means that more than likely he will be J.K. Dobbins 100% for the majority of the season. So this is definitely good news for the Ravens. 
And we can stick right to the Ravens for the next piece of news because their kicker, Justin Tucker, signed a four-year, $24 million extension with 17 and a half of that guaranteed. And as you know, Tucker owns a 91.1 career field goal percentage, which is the most of all time if he was to retire today. And, you know, he's not slowed down this past season. He converted an NFL record 66-yard field goal to win the game against the Lions last season. So we don't see a shock right here that he's getting this contract. Well, when you're looking at playoffs, scoring touchdowns is great. But how many games did we see that just this past year won in the playoffs with a clutch field goal? So does it seem a little pricey? Sure. But ultimately, if you want to make a Super Bowl run and you've got this guy on your roster, lock him up. Keep him. Don't let him walk. He is incredible, you know, and... He didn't even get as much hype as he deserved because he, he uh, once again, just rolled through the season, maintaining his historic uh, conversion percentage and kicked the longest field goal of all time. And the reason people don't talk about him is because Evan McPherson had a few good playoff runs. Too. And look, I'm not taking anything away from him, but it's easy that people it's it's funny how easily people forget about Justin Tucker, you know. But that's the kicker position, I guess. So why don't you give us the rest of what you got today? So just some small points right here. So Philadelphia Eagles center Jason Kels underwent elbow surgery after feeling lingering discomfort in the elbow. There's no time that he's going to return, but the organization thinks it is realistic for him to be suiting up for week one. Well, Jason Kelsey is a beast. Uh, I'm pretty confident that he can do just about whatever he wants. But I guess it's a good thing that they drafted a very good center in the second round uh, just in case it does take him a little extra time to get back. But, you know, that's that's the Eagles for you. Always one step. Well, I don't want to say always one step ahead, but they've had a pretty solid run over the past few years of, of planning in advance and it's worked out. So nice job, Philly. Absolutely. Sticking in the NFC East, the Washington Commanders fired defensive line coach Sam Mills. After head coach Ron Rivera shared that there was a difference in philosophy between the two coaches. So Jeff Zagonia, who was Mills' assistant for the last two years, will be taking over the defensive line duties. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I haven't really looked into it. I will have to uh, contact Nick Miriam, our commander's guy, to see what's up with this. But I wonder, you know, with everything that's come out of there lately, is it, a, is it actually a football philosophy or is it an off-the-field philosophy? that they differ on. I honestly have no idea. So I'll have to check into that. Yeah, I have no idea either. It was, that's the thing I read this morning, just a difference in philosophy. So I'm just going to assume football has to be something football related, but that's just what I believe. The Cincinnati Bengals, the reigning AFC champs will have a new name for their stadium, formerly known as Paul Brown stadium. The new name will be Paycor stadium. The agreement to the naming rights is a deal for 16 years. Look, I, I'm kind of a football NFL geek, so I do follow the the naming of all the stadiums. Like, I, I, I want to be aware of it. And I don't really attach myself too strongly to any of them just because, you know, most of them are just corporations anyway. But there are still a few that have some tradition left in them. So it's it's a little sad when you see Ralph Wilson Stadium no longer called you know, the Ralph, it's a little sad when you see Paul Brown stadium, no longer called that, you know, regardless of what you think about Paul Brown or whatever, it's, it's a little piece of NFL history. That's not gone, but 
not so close anymore, you know? I agree. Like, it'll always be Heinz Field to me when it comes to the Steelers. And if you want to yeah. take it to basketball, it'll always be the Staples Center. Like, there's just names like that that you just leave. Like, it's yeah, just, yeah, the yeah. history exactly. is, is for so long. It's what you're used to. It's what you grew yeah. up to. Madison Square Garden, Lambeau Field, you know. Ex- exactly. And then the last piece of news I got for you, this came in just about 30 minutes ago. Former running back Marshawn Lynch uh, was suspic- was uh, arrested for suspiciously being accused of a DUI in Las Vegas. Marshawn, come on, man. <laughs> if it's a late night in Las Vegas, why are you driving? Come on. Like, you, you know better than that. Just hire a car, get a taxi, whatever, man. Whatever, like... It's not, it's, you know, it's not like you were at a buddy's house and I don't know what he was doing, but, you know, he's not driving through the suburbs after hanging out with some friends and a few beers. Like, you're in Vegas. Just be a little smarter than that. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes this stuff just, it's nonsense. This is, this is nonsense, Julius. That's what it is. This is nonsense, sir. That's, that's definitely <laughs> true. But, um, yeah, so we'll see what goes on with Marshawn Lynch as he's still, no word if he's been on bail or gone or on bail yet. So as of right now, that is all the news I have for you today. Well, thank you so much, Julius. We're about to jump right into the NFC North. We're going to start off with the Lions and roll through the rest. Julius, let the people know where they can find you. So you can find me on Twitter, GotJuice44. That's on Twitter. You can find me on GridironHeroics.com. Just look up my articles Julius under Julius Lux. And on Facebook is Julius Lux as well. Beautiful. We will see you very, very soon. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. I am pleased to welcome new guest, Sam Goodman. Sam writes for Gridiron Heroics covering the Detroit Lions, a little bit of Michigan Wolverines, and he's also a freelance writer for the Associated press sam how you doing today i'm great how are you i'm i'm having a really good day good morning lights flooding in from the texas sun and uh it's not that hot yet so things are good (laughs) that's always nice so we're gonna jump right into the detroit lions now lions are a team that you know have struggled a bit over the past few years they're going into their second year under their new head coach there's a lot more optimism surrounding the team you know I I don't know if people expect them to be any type of contender even in in a weaker NFC but the general energy surrounding the team seems to have changed quite a bit so some of that has to do with offseason acquisitions why don't you give me your two offseason acquisitions that you feel are the most notable and most impactful for 2022 uh yeah so I think First off, you got to say Aiden Hutchinson, getting him in the draft, uh, number two overall. I mean, and he was arguably the best talent, uh, depends, you know, the GM's views of it. But um, he, he fits the culture perfectly, too. I mean, he's he's high motor, high energy. He's a leader on and off the field. And that's exactly what Dan Campbell uh, wants to build in Detroit. And, uh, you know, being a Michigan guy as well, he just has that connection to the team. Um, and that's that's such a big thing when a team is trying to build you need a young core that fits the uh the culture and uh not only that but he, he fills a positional need i mean he's a defensive edge and the lions were not very strong uh on the defensive line last year and so he's 
going to contribute a lot immediately. He he's already showing that he can play uh really anywhere on the line to uh draw double teams and win one on one, and so he'll be a really strong foundation for the future. Um, I think another guy is definitely DJ Chark. Um, so coming from Jacksonville, coming off a lot of injuries, um, he had some good seasons. Uh, he made a Pro Bowl and wasn't a thousand yard receiver, but then you know those injuries really weighed him down, and so. Detroit's been good about bringing in guys like that. Uh, another guy that they're bringing in this year is Deshaun Elliott, kind of like that. Um, and they're they're doing them on these these prove it deals, these one year uh, deals, and uh, trying to get them to uh, kind of have those big contract seasons. We we keep seeing that people on a contract year uh, playing a lot better. And uh, so DJ Chark's one of those guys who I think is going to come out just a little bit hungrier and uh, really work for it. And uh, he also is a positional need as well. I mean, that's a really young receiver core in Detroit with Amon Ross St. Brown and Jamison Williams uh, coming in, but they didn't really have any uh, ability to stretch it downfield last year. And so DJ Chark kind of adds that verticality to the offense. And uh, if he can stay healthy and return to Pro Bowl form, that's a huge player for the Lions. Yeah, you know, DJ Chark, he's a little bit unheralded, you know, kind of was in... (laughs) the fantasy mire that has been the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, a lot of people out there don't really follow wide receivers unless they're fantasy relevant, you know? Um, So a guy like him went under the radar largely, but I do think that's a really nice signing, especially because they do need top end talent all over the place, right? They made the effort to go get a guy like Jamison Williams in the draft, but you also need guys that can play right now. You need some veteran presence and you need a guy who can do some of the dirty work. He can stretch the field as, as a, you know, a bigger guy. He's not, uh, you know, a burner, so to speak. That's not really his thing. You need a guy who can do all the other stuff. And obviously Hutchinson was a really nice get at the second overall pick. I'm not, you know, disparaging Trevon Walker, but it does seem like overthinking a little bit you know, to go and get him first overall Absolutely. when you have a player like Hutchinson there for the taking. So nice job by the Lions there, I think. So let's talk about the offense specifically. For the 2022 season, uh, there are some strengths. There are some questions. I don't know if there is an outright weakness per se, but if you could give one strength that might carry the offense or one uh, and one weakness that could potentially hold them back for the year what would those be you know i think the offensive line has to be the biggest strength for the lions uh in general i mean the best player on this team frank ragnow is on the offensive line and i'm that that's definitely the best core uh that they've built and they've they've done a great job the past few years you know taylor decker um yeah frank ragnow panay sewell has continued to improve and was a dominant rookie Um, that was a really high graded line last year and, uh, projected top three, uh, by PFF this year. And, you know, the lions have never really had, uh, you know, a lot of top players at the, at the height of, uh, that position. And so having, uh, Ragnow, Decker, Sewell, uh, even guys like Halapavati, uh, Vitae and, uh, Jonah Jackson, who went to the pro bowl last year. I mean, that's a really strong core and being able to, win in the trenches is how you win games. So I, I think that's definitely their biggest strength. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. We just did 
our top units uh, mm-hmm. for the offense and defense. And the uh, Detroit Lions were my number four offensive line when we talked about it just this this past couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, when you look at Taylor Decker, solid player who ha- was injured last year, you hope you yep. get him for the full year. Frank Ragnow is an excellent center. Penny Sewell played better on the left as the season went along, so you can be hopeful that he transitions back to the right side comfortably, maintains his trajectory. And then, again, yeah, you do. You have really solid guards with Jackson and uh, Halapulavati Vaitai. He's maybe not the best when he's been at tackle, but at guard, very solid player. So what about a potential weakness? Yeah, I think a lot of people know what's kind of holding back the Lions this year, and it, it looks to be Jared Goff, which is unfortunate because a lot of people had hopes, you know, high hopes for him when he came in. I mean, he's a former number one overall pick. He's been to a Super Bowl. He brings experience, but he still has the youth. And I think that was really valuable. Um, and especially when you're losing Matt Stafford, who was a, a cornerstone of, of this team for you know the past decade. And uh, he didn't look comfortable last year, which makes sense. You know, they got rid of Anthony Lynn and switched to Dan Campbell halfway through the season calling plays. And that definitely throws a wrench in a quarterback learning a new system. He didn't have the most weapons around him. Um, And I think this year is kind of that deciding factor for him. If he performs, maybe he's the long-term option, but right now it just doesn't look like he's the right guy for the lions Um, in training camp. He's kind of showed a little bit more comfortability with the team and especially again with more weapons around him he can do a little bit more but i think looking to the future looking to get a quarterback in 2023 with this you know kind of stacked qb draft class um i think that's probably the better move for the future yeah you know the thing with with golf was i loved the move well you know anytime you have to give up a franchise quarterback it's it's hard to say love but it definitely made a lot of sense to let Stafford go somewhere where he could compete and recognize that your transition to being a long-term quality team probably didn't match up with his you know, remaining years as a top quarterback, right? So that made sense. And I loved that they were able to get a good number of picks and bring over Goff. Now, yeah, he's, he's a bit expensive, but uh, he at least offers you're developing players the chance to have a quarterback with legitimate talent throwing them the ball and they're not just trying to catch passes from you know Joe Schmo out there that being said I never bought into the idea that he was a potential franchise guy that they kind of tried to put out there you know and I understand why they did I'm not knocking them because you're trying to maintain your you know you're, you're trying to give the guy a little bit of confidence but realistically we always knew that he's just a placeholder, at least in my opinion. So let's jump to the defense. We'll run through pretty quick. Give me your strength and potential weakness for the defense this year. I think uh, kind of on the contrary of last year, the defense, uh, especially on the line, is looking to be uh, a lot stronger. So they they had some good interior uh, last year with Ali McNeil. Um, Levi Onwazurike struggled, but Ali McNeil... Uh, definitely took a step and uh, was really good at drawing double teams and uh, creating a lot of pressure. And then Charles Harris uh, came into Detroit and really tried to prove it. And and he did. He 
had an insanely high double team rate and still he led the team in sacks. He, he was really efficient. And I think if he continues to take a step up and uh, Aleem McNeil kind of draws that pressure, now there's more on the line. You have Aiden Hutchinson. You're going to have Josh Pascal coming in. Austin Bryan is a guy that looks like he's really improved. And so now that there's a lot more on the line, there's a lot more you can do. I mean, when you have one guy taking on a double team, almost every single rep he's in, unless it's like Aaron Donald, he's not going to be able to win consistently. Now, mm-hmm. when you're spreading out that that pass rush, especially, there's there's a lot more that they can do. And Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, I mean, he's, he's fantastic at utilizing every player, uh, especially, you know, to the best of their ability. And so I think the defensive line is something that is definitely going to take a step up. I don't know if it's going to be even, you know, towards the middle of the, the NFL uh, and at least average. But I think going from one of the worst to slightly under average would still be a huge step up for them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, that's that's a way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so it's Detroit. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I I don't know uh, how much you know, but I'm I'm a Jets fan, so I'm kind of right there in the same sort of rebuilding, uh, just establishing some hype. Yeah. Cautiously optimistic, hopeful yet pessimistic. It's it, there's there's nothing that's you know truly joyous about it, but. It, it might happen. It might happen. For this season, on that note, what do you think the likely outcome is? I mean, you know, with a range. Yeah. Um, so I wrote an article on this, and uh, I kind of, you know, drank the blue Kool-Aid a little bit, as we, we say in Detroit. But I, I had the Lions <laughs> going 9-8 and because they have a really weak schedule and, and a lot of close games in terms of traveling. And I think that's really going to benefit them. Um, And I think timing wise, too, when they have their matchups, they're getting a lot of uh, teams coming off of tough stretches. And I think that'll benefit them, especially a team with such a drive. They they were able to keep games so close last year. And I think with a little bit more, uh, they'll be able to pull out some more wins. But I think the the real accurate look for them would be like a seven and ten, which is still a, a really big step up from a three-win team last year and that's what's important is continuing to build yeah I I think so I mean uh, it more than just a pure record it comes down to how competitive are you in games you know not getting blown out not making embarrassing mistakes and just changing the and outside opinion doesn't necessarily matter but changing the feeling around the organization you know It, it really does a lot going into year two or year three uh, of a new regime. So Sam, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I want to give everybody the opportunity to find you wherever you might be. So give everyone your Twitter account, social media, and where they can find your writing. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Goodman 18 and, uh, on Instagram at Sam dot Goodman 18. I appreciate it. And, uh, you have a good rest of your day. Absolutely. We will see you back on very soon. All right, guys, I am super excited to talk about the Chicago Bears, one of the most storied franchises in all of sports, with a brand new guest, Jason Todorowski. Jason covers the Bears for GridironHeroics.com, and we are going to break down 
the 2022 Chicago Bears. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing very, very well. Look, NFC North, it's it's a unique division. You know, I I don't want to say any are better than others, but let's be honest. The NFC North, there's some serious history there. The NFC East, there's just something different, you know. That's that's just how I feel about it. So I always love the opportunity to talk about some of these really unique divisions. So the Bears are in a bit of a transitionary period, right? They've got a new coach, new GM. There are some players that are holdovers. Uh, we just got news today that one of the better players wants a trade, which, you know, kind of understandable given all, all of the circumstances. And so they haven't added a ton of new players. But I do want to start off by asking you, who would you say are the one or two most impactful additions from the offseason? Yeah, so I think right now one of the biggest additions is, is the new left tackle, Braxton Jones. He's been surprising everybody. Um, he's been getting the majority of the starter snaps at left tackle. Um, a lot of the beat writers who are there, they just didn't, they didn't think that was going to happen. They thought Riley Reef was going to be brought in and play left tackle, and that's actually what he said he wanted to do, that he wanted to play left tackle. So I think that's going to be if, – if you got if, – if a fifth-round draft pick turns out to be the long-term left tackle for the Bears – that's going to be huge. And right now it looks like it's his uh, spot to lose. Uh, some other uh, important additions uh, are, again, Riley Reef and, and uh, Michael Schofield on the line, shoring that up. Uh, right guard was, was going to be a very, very interesting option because there just wasn't anybody there. Um, and so they seem to shore up that line uh, right now. So those, those are probably the two key additions. The, uh, obviously the offensive line last year for the Bears, not great. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't. I wouldn't call them superstars at this point. You know, they're not like the Cleveland Browns uh, or anything like that. But uh, definitely better. It's a definitely step up. Step up. So hopefully, uh, Justin Fields isn't going to be running for his life the entire time uh, this season. Yeah. Look, if you can't block it up, then you can't really play offense. No matter what else you got going on. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think Joe Burrow being able to navigate around that offensive line that he's had over the past couple of years is like it's one in a million. And it helps when you have T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, you know, but even Joe Mixon had plenty of stops behind the line of scrimmage. So, look, I I agree with you 100 percent, even if they're not all pros, getting a viable offensive line is a really big deal. So there's no doubt that getting those guys in probably some of the biggest key additions. Now, let's hone in on the offense. I'm not sure what you're going to say because people can point to different parts of the Bears offensive roster uh, and say, look, that's an issue. That's an issue. But what would you say is the potential strength of the offense? If if they do have a good season offensively, what do you think is leading the way? The running game. Uh, Obviously, David Montgomery, their premier back. He's so undervalued, Um, even though I just did his piece for uh, Gridiron Heroics where he might be on his way out of town. And that's because. Khalil Herbert, uh, the the second year rookie or you know the second year uh, running back, he's he's just as good. When when Montgomery was injured last year for four games, uh, Khalil Herbert came in and there wasn't a dip in production. He got over 100 yards on a lot of those games. Um, he actually had better stats uh, than than David Montgomery did on a few less carries. But you know when you have that kind of one two punch, and then Tristan Ebner, who's who's another rookie that was just drafted uh, this year in the 2022 draft, you know he's been 
showing out at, at practice too. Um, he's been getting rave reviews. Coaches love his athleticism. Uh, he's a, more of a receiving back. He actually played wide receiver uh, throughout his career uh, as well as running back. So, you know, they just got depth there. And, then, and even like the, the, the person who was kind of with Tristan Ebner in that third string, um, Darrington Evans, who was from the Titans last year, he's a speedster, really fast, and he's been making plays too. So you have four backs in that backfield that could conceivably make the team. I don't think all of them will because you don't usually carry four running backs. But when you have that type of, of backfield there, you know, that's and, and also the run game this year, that's sort of Luke Getze's specialty is this run first to set up the pass type offense. So the run game has to be there because if not, then uh, the play action isn't going to be there. And that's really what this offense is going to be based off of run and then play action. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, aside from just the, uh, the ability to throw from the pocket, which he does need to develop, Justin Fields is an excellent uh, pass around the run and he has a tremendous amount of running ability as well so I'm not going to say that he's quite the same physical specimen as a Trey Lance but theoretically you could probably do a lot of the same stuff with him that you're doing in San Francisco so ideologically it makes sense you know as an offshoot of the running game um, now if there's something that's going to hold the offense back what do you think it is the passing game uh, obviously Justin Fields, you know, has to show up this year. Uh, I've been listening to, to fans be like, oh yeah, he's going to step up. But I remember Adam Hogue, who's a beat reporter, uh, for mm -hmm. CHGO, uh, yep. you know, he, he said, look, I'm going to be real with you. He has to impress me. You know, this is the year I understand it's the second year. I understand that we don't have to win the Super Bowl, but he has to go out there and perform. He has to be, he has to show that he is the franchise quarterback. And so that's true. He has to show up this year. And yeah, he can have some struggles a little bit, but he, he can't be what he was last year. Understand that that was Matt Nagy's offense. You know, obviously probably wasn't coached the way he should have been coached, but he's got to show up this season and he's got to perform better. Understandably that the wide receiver core isn't the greatest in, in the league and they're, and they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now. I think nearly half of the wide receivers who could conceivably make the starting lineup are, are out with injury at this point. Uh, another one went down uh, yesterday. Uh, I think it was today, actually, David Moore was carted off the field um, mm. with a leg injury. So, you know, they're real thin at, at wide receiver. So Justin Fields is going to have to step up because he doesn't have the playmakers to to sort of compensate for a poor play. Yeah, yeah. That running game is going to be super important, you know. And I really do believe that you don't want to beat him up, but he has the skill set that you probably need to use his legs this year. If you really want to if – you, if you don't want to completely ruin his development – he's probably going to need to do that a little bit just to have a functional offense that will develop over the next year or two. So I'm hopeful for him. He's got all the talent you could ever want. Definitely did not play that well last year outside of all of the other circumstances, but let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball. The once strong bears defense over the past few years has been losing pieces here and there. There's still a good few players around, you know, you still have Eddie Jackson. You still have Roquan Smith for now. But what would you say is the best part of the defense that's still held together? So the, uh, right now, not really still held together, but but coming together is the DBs. Uh, obviously, Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker added with Eddie Jackson and Jalen Johnson. Uh, that's going to be if they come, if everything works out the way it looks like right now. And Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker are really showing out in camp right now, especially Jaquan Brisker. He's looking like he's going to be an all pro going to be a pro bowler you know perennial pro bowler so that's going to be a really tough secondary to pass against um 
Kyler Gordon right now, the one issue with him is injuries. He's been out a few practices already with, with some injuries. And so there's some real questions on whether or not, um, you know, when he's on the field, he's great, but can he stay on the field? Uh, but even some of the backups that, that kind of are getting in there, they're making some plays. So yeah, definitely that secondary. And especially with the, the type of defense they're running, the, the four, three cover two, um, that's something that's really going to be impressed upon them is the, is the takeaways. So a secondary really has to focus on takeaways. And so I think that the secondary can do it. But I also will say that the edge rushers surprisingly might be a strong suit, especially with some of the young guys. Travis Gibson seems to be coming along really, really well. Last season, he had seven sacks and, and I think it was five forced fumbles. And he only played like half the season once Mac went down. So, you know, the more chances he gets. And then Al-Qadine Mohammed, who came over with Iberflus uh, from the Colts, he's, you know, he wasn't really in the OTAs, but at camp, he's been showing out too. He's been in the backfield a lot. And of course, Robert Quinn, um, if he's with the team through most of the season, um, he's looking like his old self. So, and then uh, Dominic Rod Robinson, who's uh, the fifth round and who used to be a wide receiver, really athletic. He's starting to come along too. He's really getting in the backfield a lot too. So I think the edge might be a surprise to some people. Yeah, well, you know, Matt Eberflus coming over from the Colts is a big pickup. I really like Matt Eberflus. I know that the current trend is to look for the offensive play caller to come over. But frankly, I think Eberflus has done a great job. Um, I, I don't know what it's going to look like year one, but I think he does a great job of developing DBs. They had a bunch of guys who have, I want to say more or less hit their peak from what they were expected to do coming from college in Indianapolis. So I absolutely am with you that you've got some talented guys there who could be really good. You know, the one thing I'll say is that's a lot of youth. You know, even if everybody does manage to stay healthy, there are going to be, there's going to be good and and there will be ups and downs, honestly. And yeah, it's just something that you kind of have to live with, but I, I liked the picks. The one downside of those picks is you get those talented players at a, the expense of adding to the offense and, and working around Justin Fields, that was a big talking point of the offseason. But ultimately, you got to do things the way that you believe that they should be done, right? You're going to live and die by that. So I think, like you said, the defensive secondary could be quite good, especially with a veteran leader like Eddie Jackson there with those guys. And Jalen Johnson, he's been pretty darn good. You know, good rookie year, even better last year. So I can't disagree with that. Um, if there was going to be something that held the defense back, what do you think that would be? Well, like you said, the youth definitely, um, and the new system, uh, could also trip them up a little bit. Um, but one of the biggest things is, is Roquan Smith, you know, is he going to be there? And then if he's not, you know, there's really not a whole lot of linebackers there. They signed, uh, Nick Murrow, uh, from the Raiders, but you know, he kind of had one okay season, showed some promise in 2020 and then when 2021 last, last season, he was out with an injury. So if Roquan isn't going to be there, there's really no proven linebackers on the team. And I, I know they say in the 4-3 that linebacker isn't really a, a premium position. Um, but Erlacher and Briggs, you know, when they were in the Lovey Smith offense, there's a reason why those two guys were, were some of the most popular on the team. Because, you know, when, you, when you're playing this cover two type defense, it, when there's going to be short passes. You're going you're gonna to give up yards, okay? That, that's the point. But then you have to swarm to the ball and stop mm -hmm. them. So if you don't have linebackers that can do that and linebackers who can quite frankly cover, you know, this defense isn't going to work out. So I, I have to push back on people who say, well, linebacker is not really a premium position. It kind of is in this defense because you need the swarming ability to the ball. And if you don't have guys who can do that, guys who, who don't have that instinct, like Roquan has this instinct to be around the ball. I mean, he's one of the better screen defenders I've ever seen. 
I mean, it's amazing. Like you try to screen pass to Ro- near Roquan Smith, and he's going to pick it off, or he's going to, you know, in some way interrupt that play. So, you know, those short passes are where he's really going to be that machine and tackling and making sure that those short gains don't go for longer gains. So, yeah, that 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 linebacker position, if Roquan isn't going to be there, that could be a big problem. Yeah, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think the differences in what linebackers are asked to do is less about the, the defensive front. I mean, it, it has something to do with it. But honestly, the differences in what linebackers are asked to do in modern defenses is largely about what they're capable of doing, right? So I think that if you have a, a capable linebacker, you do ask him to be very involved. You ask him to cover a lot of ground. Guys like Rokon Smith, guys like um, Darius Leonard, or Shaquille Leonard, I should say now, guys like um, Fred Warner, you know, and what Bobby Wagner was. Like, these guys... These are all in various defenses, but they're all very, very impactful. So ultimately, you either have a guy who can make impact plays or you have to try and hide him. You know, I, I, I'm not sure if if whether it's a 3-4 or 4-3 matters that much anymore because most of the time you're running two backers anyway in, in the nickel base. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I For Bears fans' sake, I hope he stays. My tendency is to think probably not just because of where they are. Um, you know, I talked about it in the news segment a few minutes ago. I think the Chargers are probably a good destination for him, but we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, but that being said, why don't you give me a quick uh, prediction of what this final record might look like for the year, and then we'll get out of here. So I think that they'll win at least eight games, uh, and that's assuming Luke Getze is a, a competent play caller. Um, I know there's been doom and gloom about their record, but I, you know, last season they had the third hardest schedule and Matt Nagy didn't have an offense. Uh, I don't know what that was, but it wasn't an offense. Um, so <laughs> this year, I think they have like the 20 something uh, hardest schedule. So it's a lot easier. And again, you know, if Luke Getze is a halfway competent play caller, they have to be able to win more than six games. And I think they'll be able to get to that eight or nine win season, uh, especially if things come together. However, if Luke Getze isn't a good play caller, because we don't really know. He hasn't played calls, uh, called plays since Mississippi State. Um, you know, if he if he somehow, somehow worse than Matt Nagy, then the doom and gloom uh, can come <laughs> in. But for right now, everything that's been shown in camp is that he's a great coach. He's a coach of Justin Fields. You know, they don't let him get away with anything. If he makes a mistake, they're on top of him right away, telling him what he did wrong. And, you know, Justin's a guy who learns. Like, he stays late. He wants to learn. He just craves to get better. So, to me, I think eight wins. I don't think nine wins is out of the question. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um, I I think it's conceivable. But I think the big thing to me is the health of the offensive line. Because if I think they're not particularly talented and they might just get by. But you lose a guy here or there, that can quickly turn into an offensive line that just can't get anything done. And with you know, that 100% injury rate, so to speak. At some point, you're probably going to have to deal with it. So I'm a little worried about that. I would estimate that the record's a little lower. That's just my personal opinion. But I do see the pathway to a record that's better than what a lot of people think. Jason, thank you for joining me today. I really, really do appreciate it. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, my Twitter is 1920BearDown34. Uh, that's where you can find me at. I'll post everything that I write there. Or you can find me in Gridiron Heroics. Yeah, I wonder what team you're a fan of. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. No, the Bears. Go Bears. Bear down. (laughs) Have a good one, my friend. You too. Thank you so much for having me.
Okay, everybody, to talk about the Minnesota Vikings, I am ecstatic to have a brand new guest from Locked On Vikings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, Luke Braun. Luke does Locked On Vikings as the host. He does a phenomenal job with that. And he also is working on a little Patreon project, the history of the Minnesota Vikings on patreon.com slash Luke Braun NFL. Luke, how you doing today? Hey, Max, how you doing? Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Look, again, sometimes when you have as many guests as I do, some last minute uh, finagling occurs. So I appreciate you for hopping on the pod with us today. Now, of course, we're going to jump right into the Minnesota Vikings, because again, I don't have a ton of time and I really want to hear as much about them from you as possible. So to kick it off, there's a lot of new additions, right? You know, if you want to talk about the GM, mm-hmm. you can, you can talk about the coach, you can, whatever you want. But what would you say the two largest offseason additions are for the Vikings? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one off field, one on the field. Um, I think off field, the I'll, I'll just count the whole regime change as one big thing because you get Quasey and Kevin O'Connell are coming in as this like dynamic duo pair. Um, and Quasi Adolfo Mensa picked O'Connell, so you could just call this Quasi if you want. But just this new regime and the the change in culture that they want to bring. You know, in the last couple years of Mike Zimmer, things got very tight in the Minnesota Vikings organization, very tense. And part of that, I think, was that Zimmer saw the writing on the wall that he was about to be fired, and he didn't react very well to that. Um, and I think Rick Spielman had a similar reaction as things were going poorly the last couple of years. Zimmer didn't really like the direction of the team. He didn't like that he was kind of strapped with Kirk Cousins. He got outvoted in 2018 and he got outvoted about all these extensions. Um, and he didn't like all that. And it sort of spread to the rest of the locker room. And everybody, it was a, a culture of fear is the way Eric Kendricks uh, sort of implied. It's... It, it, very loose now. Everybody's having fun. You know, Kevin O'Connell, you watch him at practice and he'll go and coach people and he'll kind of do the the thing. But really his goal as head coach is to just go make the rounds and connect a little with everybody. He's joking. He's laughing. He's everybody's having a good time. And it looks like they're really having fun at practice as they do their work. And it was very tight and intense before uh, under the Zimmer camps. There is a very, a much more relaxed atmosphere and a very positive atmosphere. Everybody gets to learn and everybody's people are making mistakes, but people aren't afraid to make mistakes and then learn from them like they were at the end of the Zimmer thing. And then I'll give you the on-field one. Zadarius Smith. I think he's an absolutely huge acquisition. He's healthy and that wasn't a guarantee, but right now he's, he's full on hundred percent. He's been a participant every day. Um, and he's, a really important piece to what Ed Donatel is going to want to do on defense because he's fairly positionless. So depending on the front, you can put Zadarius Smith as an edge rusher. That's probably where he's the most at home. You can rush him up the interior. You can rush him from off the ball. He can play a little linebacker. He can do whatever that front needs, needs a guy to do and be a really scary weapon. Um, he was, they call it a Rover is what, when they did it in green Bay and it's the same coaches, it's Mike Smith and Mike Pettin called him a Rover back in the day. And his job was to watch your tape. He'll watch your offensive line. He'll pick out whoever he thinks the worst one is and go attack. And he'll, you'll get Zadarius Smith against whatever sixth round right guard you thought you were getting away with. Um, that was his job in green Bay and it was fantastic. Everybody knows it. 
And that's what he's doing here. And I think that's going to add a really great extra dynamic to the pass rush. So it doesn't all have to fall on Daniil Hunter anymore. Um, and it'll create a lot of one-on-ones across the whole line. And I think we're going to see a good year from both of those guys because of the effect that they have on each other. Rising tides. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know what? To go back to to the Spielman to Adolfo Mensa transition, you know, I, I love the GM journey. It's a podcast that uh, Thomas Dimitrov does now where he goes across the, the uh, country, talks to all the different GMs. Um, he hasn't done Rick Spielman yet. I've listened to Rick on some other podcasts. He's done a big media tour, yeah. Yeah, but um, and, and he's really interesting to listen to. But one of the biggest things that I take away from Thomas Dimitrov, and again, this is nothing new, but it just solidified that a good, healthy, strong relationship in decision-making between the head coach and the GM is so, so, so important. And I don't know if either one of those guys is a problem in and of themselves, but obviously the relationship fractured. And so I do agree that that change will really make a difference for the Vikings this year. And look, and as far as Zadarius Smith goes, he was so, so, so good for the Packers for a couple of years. You know, bringing him in, hopefully 100% healthy, is going to be the first time they really have legit edge players or pass rushers at a couple of different positions since... uh, um, Since Everson got old, really, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm with you 100%. Let's hone in a little on the offense. Now... Mm-hmm. There are some great players on this team, you know. Personally speaking, I'm leading you a little bit, but the the uh, the other day we did the best <laughs> position groups in the NFL episode, and I was the only one who ranked the Vikings as a top five skill group, and I I was surprised because to me it was obvious, mm. you know. So I I just want to let you know that I'm in love with what they have at the skill positions, you know. Maybe not. 100% all the way down the depth chart. But for me, the star power is important there. But what would you say are the strengths and potential weaknesses that could hold back the Vikings on offense this year? Sure. I, I do. The skill group is absolutely a strength. Um, I think people forget how good Dalvin Cook is because people sort of have started to think all running backs are the same. And that's not really true. Um <laughs> You know, old school offenses maybe overvalued the run game or whatever, but I think a lot of people have gone too far the other direction where they think, yeah, you know, Dalvin Cook or uh, James White, all the same guy, you know, like (laughs) to pick your random fantasy waiver wire pickup. And yeah, you could probably replace him with Christian McCaffrey and it'd be just the same. Like, no, Um, Dalvin Cook is a genuine weapon. He enables, he reads everything really right. He has all sorts of really great subtleties to his game that enable a lot of concepts to, you know, the run plays you have to run to set up a play action fake of them later can actually get yards with Dalvin Cook instead of just being three yards and you just have to throw away a down in hopes that it pays off later. Um, the wide receivers look incredible. Uh, Justin Jefferson might be ascending to a new level of humanity. Uh, is the way that he's playing right now, it's unbelievable. He looked this way last year in camp as well, and we saw it bear out. He looks... He's Justin Jefferson. <laughs> There's, uh, you can expect what you expect from him. Adam Thielen has made plenty of plays in camp. Um, KJ Osborne, who was kind of a wide receiver three forgettable asset, I think he's going to surprise people this year with how good he looks. Um, he is just a relentless workhorse. The dude has work ethic like very few players I've ever seen. Um, very first in, last out, if you want to call it that. But mm-hmm. it, it pays off. It really shows. 
in his skill set. His route running is getting a little more artistic. You can tell he's picking up tricks from Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. And he's uh, there. Those guys are rubbing off on him in a very good way. He's great at tracking the ball. He's got the athleticism and the speed. He's got the technique to make toe tapper catches on the sideline. Really excited for this group. And don't forget Irv Smith. A lot of people probably didn't rank the Vikings as a good skill group because they forgot about Irv Smith, who looked dynamic as all get out in camp last year. And then he hurt his meniscus. Um, he got a more invasive, longer recovery time surgery to prevent problems down the road. You know, you start to see older guys get like knee tendonitis and stuff. And a lot of that is because they tried to get a quick procedure done when they were younger on a, on a small knee injury so they could get back and play in time. And then it messes up them up later in the career. Irv Smith and the Vikings kind of as a whole decided not to do that. Say, nope, just take your season, go get really healthy. And we'll have you back in, uh, we'll have you back in 2022. He hurts his thumb, totally unrelated injury. You don't have to worry about him being injury prone or anything, but it will take him out for the preseason. They say he'll be back by week one. And I say, look out for him. He he will be available on the waiver wire after your fantasy drafts. And I think everybody should maybe go do that or take him in the 15th round or whatever. Um, because he is a, dy- a way more dynamic weapon than you think. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. You know, and obviously I listed him when I was talking about the Vikings as a top five group, you know, and I think part of it is just that they've been middling for a little while. They didn't really change sure. anything at the skill group. So injuries, uh, guys returning from injury, that goes under the radar at times. But from top to bottom, especially at the starter positions, they're super, super talented. Um, let's look at the defense then and say, you know, this is a team that notoriously had a very good defense under Mike Zimmer for quite a while. Some of those pieces mm-hmm. are still there. We and haven't got, necessarily- <laughs> got a little old <laughs> and it, some of the guys are still good, right? You know, we have still high expectations for a guy like uh, Daniel Hunter, but what would you say is the real strength of this defense if it gets back close to the efficiency that it had a few years back? Uh, so I wouldn't expect that just because it's a new defense. There's a lot of young players. They're going to be relying on rookies at cornerback or Cameron Dantzler, rookie safety or Cam Bynum. Um, there's there's a lot of youth on that secondary, and that will be exploitable. They're just going to make mistakes. They are rookie corners, and you know we live in a division with Aaron Rodgers. He's going to find them. Um, but beyond that, I do think the future of the defense is bright. I just think it's going to be a little bit of a, you know, some growing pains this year and that's okay. They're on a great trajectory. It's just going to be a little bit of a journey. Um, but the strength of the defense will probably be its front now, you know, like we talked about Daniel Hunter's at Darius Smith kind of forcing double teams where you maybe didn't think you were supposed to have a double team and that will manipulate a protection such that, oh no, you have a center one-on-one against Harrison Phillips. And your center's not strong enough to do that. That's a really common way to get um, some pressure up the interior. So I think those fronts will be really good. And the linebackers behind them are going to have a lot of room to roam. You know, you come out in what's called a bare front. That's five men on the line of scrimmage. Um, with Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith and Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Tomlinson and Armand Watts, who looks to be getting a, winning a starting job in camp. Um, you know, you're suddenly going to have a lot more one-on-ones than you thought and a lot more open gaps than you thought. And Jordan Hicks and Eric Kendricks, I think are poised to have really good seasons against the run. Um, but all that won't matter if they, you know, if you can burn Cameron Dantzler down the sideline and get a big catch on him or something, 
And I think that's going to be what really defines the Vikings defense right off the bat. But what, what you're looking for is for that to improve as the season goes along. And even if it does enough to sink this first season of a rookie head coach where you never really expect the playoffs in that anyways, um, as long as it's improving, I think we'll have a lot of reason for optimism going into next year. Um, but you know, everybody's learning a new scheme. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to blow coverages. You're going to, uh, not quite position yourself the way you're supposed to position yourself and that's okay. Um, but that's kind of why my prediction for the Vikings hasn't been quite as bullish as some of the national places that just expect, well, you know, they got Hunter and Harrison Smith and Eric Kendricks. That should be the same defense. Mm -hmm. They're all learning new stuff. It's going to be a little messy to start. Yeah. I mean, schematically they did run some interesting, like, uh, tight bunches from the uh, interior guys last year. That's something that Zimmer did, but overall the scheme is changing quite a yeah. bit. You know, it's, it's he started it's to funny. fold in concepts from it. Now we've like totally uh, committed to being that style of defense instead of being a Zimmer Belichick Saban style of defense that like folded in some weird stuff. We are the weird mm -hmm. stuff. now. Yeah. And you know, he was doing that way back in the day and kind of came back to it as the league did. Oh but yeah. Everything old is new again. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's what I was just going to say is that for a long time, right? Some of the, like, we had some great front four pass rush defenses in the 20 aughts, but a lot of the greatest, most dominant defenses through the late 80s, 90s, and uh, into the 20 aughts were those three fours where you've got the three mm -hmm. big interior defensive linemen, you got your two pass rushing, pass rushing outside linebackers. And then you'd have your two interior backers who would come down and thump and just your four DBs. But now, as the league has transitioned to um, more of a, a nickel look, they've had those four defensive linemen in more often than not. But now, as another response to that, we're kind of coming back to those three bigger interior guys with the two edge rushing outside backers. But instead of a, a pair of inside linebackers you really got that one inside backer and you're seeing that a five lot of, one yeah exactly exactly and so i think the vikings are really well set up personnel wise to run that and i'm interested to see how it shakes out so for sure so give me your your basic prediction for the season you said you're a little less bullish try and throw a number on that if you can oh I, it's always hard to do this you know i i, I will always give a range the range i will give <laughs> would be somewhere between six and nine wins. I do think that they're going to give up 35 points some games. I still We haven't talked much about Kirk Cousins. I am not a Kirk Cousins believer. Um, that said, Kevin O'Connell has basically come in with the pitch of I can fix Kirk Cousins, um, and I can you know kind of change the things in his process that have held him back. If he's right about that, I don't think that's a possible task. But if I'm wrong and he's right about that, he's a coach. A decent shot of this. Um, then I think Kirk Cousins can really take a step forward that we've never seen in his career, but it's been 10 years and we've never seen it. So I remain skeptical until I see it. So that gives me a, between six and nine, call it seven and 10, I guess, if you want a real number. Um, and, and, and I'm okay with that because I'm factoring in a lot of problems that will not be long-term problems. A lot of short-term problems that lose you a game in September, but come the next September, it's going to pay off with, you, now everybody knows what they're doing and all the players are in their second year in the system. And, you know, maybe you've got an addition and a little turnover, but you didn't just completely overhaul everything. Like th there's going to, especially on roster cut day, a lot of the roster is going to suddenly go away that we thought was like, you know, a year ago, we thought was a shoe into at least play out their rookie contract. You're going to lose second year, third round picks. 
And once that sort of growing pain, that turnover, that transition is over, then things go better. I am advocating a little patience while they go seven and 10 in that first year. And that's totally okay. It's a transition year. That's to be expected. Yeah, it's always tough for fans to swallow that, uh, especially yeah. this early in the season when right. hype surrounding training camp is high. But I, I do agree with you. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being patient. If you want to do things the right way, you really have to be if you're if you're turning things over like that. Luke, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. I really, truly, true, I truly do appreciate it. Uh, everyone, go check out Luke at Locked On uh, Vikings on the podcast platforms but also go check him out on youtube because honestly he does a really nice job with that if you want a a visual example of piercing blue eyes that's luke for you (laughs) so luke tell everybody where else to find you and thanks again sure yeah the so locked on vikings you can search that out anywhere you listen to to shows probably where you're listening to this one um and locked on vikings on youtube as well you can find me on locked on nfl on tuesdays on all the same platforms and the Minnesota football party is an ensemble show where uh, four of us talk about the Vikings. That's on twice a week on Locked On Minnesota Sports. Um, you can also find on the Patreon, that's patreon.com slash NFL, the history of the Minnesota Vikings. It is a history documentary that um, is a, it's a seven-part series about the same size as if you ever watched the Secret Base Atlanta Falcons one. That was my inspiration. Um, and it ended up kind of the same size, seven episodes, 40, 50 ish minutes each, um, give or take a lot, you know, they, they vary quite a bit. (laughs) Um, we're up to episode two is out right now. So the first two and the third one comes out this weekend and every weekend after that, every Saturday, uh, until week one, you'll have a new episode covering a different era of the Vikings. We're going to get to the mid seventies and all the super bowls next. And then the eighties are a very tumultuous time. And then you get to the nineties with Carter and Moss and, and all the way up through today. So uh, I hope people will check that out again. That's at patreon.com slash NFL. And you can also find it on zonecoverage.com. Um, they're dual posted over there as well. Beautiful. That is a serious undertaking. All right, Luke, thanks again. And we will have you on again very soon. Great. And for our final team of the day. I have back with me once again, Matthew Brown. Matt covers the Packers, the Michigan Wolverines, and he will be writing about fantasy a little bit for gridironheroics.com once the true fantasy season rolls around. Matt, I'm super pleased to have you back. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be back on the pod. Uh, thanks for having me to talk about the Packers. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this team. Yeah, you know, uh, they're a fun team to talk about. They do a lot of winning. Uh, We just put out our top five units for all of the different position groups this past Monday, two days ago. And needless to say, the Packers were at or near the top of, of those rankings for quite a few. So what I wanted to ask you today, first off, is to go over a couple of the key offseason additions for a team that already has won their division three years in a row and has fallen short in the playoffs, but we all expect to be very, very good again. 
I think that the Packers are always a tricky team when talking about offseason additions because historically they really don't sign that many people. But this year was different. So, I mean, you can say draft was great. and Don't get me wrong. The Packers have some great draft picks. It would not be a Packers podcast if I did not mention Romeo Dubs. I'm all in. I'm in love with him. I Romeo Dubs for the win. Um, but uh, also on the wide receiver end, um, if he can stay healthy, Sammy Watkins is a great offseason addition. Now, that is a big if because Sammy Watkins has not been able to stay healthy. But that is a veteran wide receiver who I think people forget was a top five pick coming out of Clemson. Very, very high prospect and just injuries and things like that have caused him to kind of bounce around. But if he can stay healthy, I think him and Rodgers are going to establish a connection and that's going to be huge for that wide receiving core. And on the other side, um, Jaron Reed, a defensive lineman, uh, he played for the Chiefs last year. Again, I think a really under-the-radar signing. In training camp, that defensive line has been a menace. And I think the defensive backs are getting a lot of the hype, which, don't get me wrong, Jair Alexander, Eric Stokes, Razul Douglas, great, great, great. Really excited about them. But that defensive line is going to get after the quarterback, and Jaron Reed is just kind of a uh, icing on the cake of the amount of defensive line help that they have. Yeah, well, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, the questions have been endless and endless and endless regarding the wide receiver position. Ever since the trade of Devontae Adams, it's almost all that people can talk about. You know, it, it, did the Packers do enough at the wide receiver position? And, I, I mean, look, no one's going to sit here and try and convince anybody that, that Devontae Adams has been, uh, you know, effectively replaced with one player. But, I mean... If Aaron Rodgers is not the best quarterback in the league, he's certainly in the top couple. And I think he can make do with a strong assortment of players that he has. And Romeo Dubs has been getting nothing but praise coming out of Packers camp. And we'll see. We'll see how that translates. I'm very eager to see him in the preseason coming up here real quick. But I'm curious. I would like to see, you know, I would like to see what that hype looks like on the field. And then defensively, they were my number one rated defensive line when we did our rankings. I think they're 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 incredible. Now there are, you know, other defenses that have plenty of good players. But when you look at the 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 burst onto the scene that Rashawn Gary had last year, and I know he's a backer, but I you know included him for the pass rushing purposes. But um, and and then Kenny Clark, who is a menace inside. You add a few more guys around him that just make it harder to double team him, and I'm. I'm excited about that. Jaron Reed is absolutely a really nice addition for them. Now, let's look at the offensive side of the ball in particular. And we're going to kind of talk about what would be the strength and potential weakness of, of this team for this year. Now, strengths, probably more on the obvious side. But when we get to weaknesses, look, we're not going to say that it's, you know, a bad offense for this reason. But if there are issues, what would you say those issues might end up being? I am concerned about the offensive line. Long-term, I'm not. The reps that these players are getting because of the injuries to David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins are going to mean that long-term, they're going to have some really nice, versatile offensive linemen. But right now, it's hard to know whether 
the Packers defensive line is that good that they're constantly getting pressure in training camp or whether the offensive line is really, really struggling and giving up a bunch of pressure. I'm going to choose to be on the optimistic side and be like, you know what? The Packers <laughs> defensive line is so amazing that the offensive line just cannot contain him and no other offensive line can do it. But until you get, I think, one of either Jenkins or Bakhtiari back, I'm a little bit concerned about that offensive line. Now, I'm not concerned about Matt LaFleur and his staff game planning around that. You know, the Packers tend tend to do quick throws. Uh, this is not the first time that offensive line has been injured for the Packers, and LaFleur and his offense always seem to adapt accordingly. But I, I am concerned about the protection for Rodgers, especially early in the season before Bakhtiari and Jenkins come back. Yeah, you know, it's something I'm concerned about, too. The Packers have always historically had good offensive lines over the past you know five to ten years and they've cycled guys through but those two are two of the best in the nfl and to not have either of them potentially to start the season now we'll see we'll see what happens there there's a lot of anxiety around david bakhtiari because he was hurt in 2020 you know tried to come back last year didn't work there seems to be an indication that he's not quite ready to come back yet. You know, I I've been following, but I don't remember exactly what the timeline is. It, needless to say, you know, fans are nervous about that. And I would be too. I think, you know, when you look at everything else they have on the roster, it will be ov overcomable. But if there's something that's going to hold the offense back, that is undoubtedly it. I would say much more so than the receivers there. Now, defensively, what I want to ask you basically the same question. <laughs> now, this might be hard to do because I put them as my number one overall defensive line, my number one overall uh, a secondary. And keep in mind, I'm not a Packers fan at all. I, I have no allegiance to this team, but I just think they're really well put together. And then even linebackers, they were only just slightly out of my top five, you know, rookie included. So do your best to give me what their weakness could potentially be a couple is when one of them is just kind of in general is depth you know you look behind the starters and if someone gets injured there's a pretty big drop off of talent you know you've got the nagging hamstring injury from friday's practice of, of darnell savage and you kind of go oh well, who's playing safety now oh okay um <laughs> so that's always a concern but i do think there's some maybe this isn't a weakness but regression um you know Razul Douglas came on the scene and i mean touchdowns and interceptions and big moments and all this other stuff and turnovers are always a little bit random I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at a team, I remember, uh, oh, it was five or six years ago, there was a Chicago Bears team when that year they went 12 and four with Trubisky. And a big reason they did is because their defense just had an unbelievable run of interceptions and fumble recoveries returned for touchdowns. And that was great for that season, but that's hard to do season to season. And, and that would be my concern for a player like Douglas and even just in general on the defense. Can they keep that same level and not regress back. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. You know, historically we've seen with corners, 
guys that have a great year out of nowhere are more likely to have a mediocre year to follow that up than another very, very good year. Now, I would say that we've seen enough out of Jair Alexander to be pretty confident that he's going to be, you know, if not the best in the league, you know, in, in the top, you know, he's, he's, he's established himself as that. But Rasul Douglas might not be quite as dominant as he was last year, you know. Um, I, fortunately, I do expect it to be good enough that regression, even from a player like him, is probably not going to result in a, in a weakness. You know, you'd have to have, yeah, I mean, they're not some... asking to be cornerback one. They're asking to be cornerback three. So, right. I mean, that, that helps. Yeah. And so I think injuries really would be the key way uh, that, that that could potentially become a problem, but you know, then they, they've added a lot of talent up front and in the middle of the defense as well. You know, you add a first round pick at defensive line, you had a first round pick at linebacker. So, you know, for sure, we don't necessarily expect those guys to be monsters right away. But you would hope that over the course of a season, if you do end up having an injury to that secondary or to that defensive line, you've, you've added enough talent to overcome that. You know, they, I, I got to say that I think they've done a great job. And I, I follow the team building process very, very closely. It's my greatest interest in the sport. And I don't think you can say enough good things about what Brian Gutekunst has done. You know, that even that pick of Jordan Love, in retrospect, yeah, it it, it hasn't worked out. But but in the moment, it does make sense. You look at all these other quarterbacks around the league. As they got to that point in where Aaron Rodgers was, you know, it's not that they fall off a cliff right there, but within the next few years, a lot of guys that's happened to a lot. Obviously, not him, and you know, but we're it, not complaining. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're almost done, but I just want to have you throw out. Uh, you know, a prediction for the season. How, what do you think their record approximately is? And do you think that this is the year they overcome the playoff uh, slump? And I don't want to say slump. There's not even the right word, but the, the playoff barrier, I should say, yeah. and do get back to the Super Bowl. Um, I think they start out the season slow. So I think they start out like three and three where the offense just doesn't gel you know, the defense kind of wins them some games, but I think they start off slow three and three and then finish like 11 and six. I, I, I it, the NFC is just easier this year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the AFC is loaded, the NFC, not so much. I mean, you've got the Buccaneers and the Rams and then probably the Cowboys or the Eagles out of the NFC East. But, and then after that, tell me a team you really feel good about is the seven seed. Um, so I, I think that, They'll make the playoffs, barring anything, you know, catastrophic that happens. Um, I think the regular season might have some ups and downs. But again, I'm completely biased on this. But I do think that this is the year that they get over that hump. I I think that they the NFC is easier. So they they will not have to get through as many great teams as someone in the AFC has to. And then uh, I, I'm taking Aaron Rodgers in a Super Bowl uh, versus whomever. Uh, I'm 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 excited about it. And by the Super Bowl, they'll be much more gelled together than week one, two, or three. So that that's I'm I'm thinking a little bit of a rocky start, and then they'll pick it up at the end of the season. Eleven and six, you know, twelve and five, maybe even like a ten and seven is you know in that range there. Yeah, you know, I think as a Packers fan, and particularly in this stretch over the past few years you're pretty insulated from bias. I mean, you can be the biggest homer in the world, 
and still be 100% right. <laughs> so, You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Matt, thank you so, so much for joining me. And let's let everybody know where they can find you on social media, what your projects are. And uh, I definitely look forward to having you on again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'm coming on again for our fantasy special coming up in 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 a month or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At Sorcerer Matt on Twitter is probably where I'm most active, especially in the sports realm. Um, obviously, I write for Gridiron Heroics, and I also write for our sister site, Wisconsin Sports Heroics. So if you're a you know Wisconsin sports fan, highly recommend that site. Um, and then you can check out my other non-sports podcast, Beers and Ears, and Discontinued on Display. Right on, Matt. We will see you very soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, you can find us on any podcast platform. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, a rating and review is very much appreciated. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And we will be coming at you this Friday with AFC North. Lots of great guests coming up. So thanks so much and have a good one. We'll see you very soon.